did good, didn't they? Sometimes they don't. I don't know what to tell you. My name is Chris Raymond. I'm very grateful recovered alcoholic. Man, I got to tell you, guys, I, AA is alive and well in Indiana. I mean, y'all, I was talking to a guy one time recently. He said, AA is the same everywhere. As you're not living in the same world on the same planet that I'm living in, I guarantee you. It's, uh, it's not. And uh, I have certainly enjoyed being here. I got, got a chance to do a couple little workshops, and, and uh, it's just so, it's just, fine as could be to, to get a chance to visit with some of you guys, and, and I'm around later to, to visit. i got to leave early in the morning. i got I got to get back to work, but um, what a blessing to get to spend this time with you. i got I got to do like I always do, wave at y'all over there. Hi, guys. This is my blind side. I can't see Jack. <laughs> Sometimes I get going and I forget to look, you don't know. So, they could be naked and on fire, and I wouldn't see them. I think sometimes people think this is a prop. You know, it's like, it's an x-ray patch maybe. I don't know. I, anyway, I, I don't, I'm blessed. I, I got to thank Dan for doing it. Dan and Rich picked me up at the airport and, and they're going to haul me back tomorrow. And I don't know, everybody that's had anything to do, the staff, the, 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 the committee that in, invited me, uh, everybody's been so, so nice. I got to tell you, the staff of this place, this is a gorgeous place to do something like this. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little disappointed because I finally figured out where my room is now. I mean, guys, I'm very embarrassed to tell you. I mean, I'm a kid from the te- from Texas. I mean, we're supposed to do better with you know directions and that kind of stuff. I'm just, I just been for two days just been following people that are walking with a purpose with a name tag. I'm hoping they go by my room. I, I don't. Yeah. I think we could have planned this a little bit better. Upstairs, downstairs, it's just a little, anyway. What, what a gorgeous place. I called Patty. Patty says, tell you, hi, my wife's in the program, and she's 24 years sober. She, she just, she's pissed that she missed this, I got to tell you. So um, she said, tell you, hi. Yeah, I'll tell her. There you go. She'll want to know if I told you all that, and, and did I go to the casino. That's what she's going to ask me tonight. So and, and yes to both, and that's it. I got to tell you too, because I had a completely different story planned for tonight, and my sponsor's in the room, and uh, and his wife Gary Julie, and I—they're my, my absolute dearest, and uh, I can't lie. I don't know. It's a bummer. I, I was going to tell you some big, good war stories, and I just—I don't know. My story's pretty boring. I finally got sober November thirteenth, nineteen eighty-seven, folks, and I'm—I'm I'm eternally grateful for that. I—I. I, uh, uh, I'm a cat that couldn't that couldn't not drink. I spent a whole bunch of time trying to get well, and I need to mention this real quick. And coming in the door, and, and and I got you for an hour, folks. I'm watching the clock closer than y'all are. I know a bunch of y'all are smokers. Room's full of sinners. I know. And um, <laughs> I saw a guy back there earlier like that. He had a, listen. I ain't kidding. He had one of those vape things. It was the size of a toaster. Look at a toaster with a nipple. I mean, I, I 
I wish we'd have had those back in the day. I just got to tell you, but we didn't. I, I don't know. Anyway, I'm watching the clock close. So, I, uh, uh, a lot of y'all have heard talks I've done and I, speakers, and I, I just, you know, somebody asked me earlier, what are you going to talk about tonight? And I just, uh, yeah. my story? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much going to follow the, the, the usual pattern. Um, but I got to tell you, coming in the door of the ones that haven't heard me, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about recovery. I'm pretty straightforward. I'm, I'm a cat that nearly died sitting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, and I know some of you have not experienced that, and that's okay. I just, I just want to tell you going in the door that the only thing I can share with you all tonight uh, is my story. It's, it's my experience. And my experience is going to be different than your experience, I guarantee. Uh, you know, I, I hear people all the time, you know, sit around the rooms long enough and you'll hear your story. I haven't in 28 years. I, I just, I haven't. My story is different than other people. And I, it's going to be different than yours, too. So I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. I think our stories are extremely valuable. But, um, well, they can get us a little sidetracked, too. So let's, let's move on. And you understand my passion about this because, boy, in 1987, when I finally got sober, I, I, this, this, was, this was a delight. And uh, I recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And I am so delighted to be able to, to live uh, alcohol-free as a result of working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My, my life has been absolutely impacted by the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I cannot tell you how many of y'all in this room I've known over the years uh, speaking out there in public and, and, and just watching you grow and having the ability to be able to share our lives together. It's, it's, a, it's what a delight. But, but you didn't get me sober. God got me sober. And I got connected spiritually by working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and if that didn't catch your hair on fire, you're going to be fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, we were laughing about it yesterday's workshop. Alcoholics can be so dead gum closed-minded. I've never seen anything like it. You know, we asked the newcomers, we want you to be open-minded. Yeah, unless you're about five years sober, then you can just close your mind completely to anything. <laughs> Well, my counselor so told me that my sponsor said this. My big book says this. That's the only way. I'm just coming from the big book. That's all I'm doing. So I'm not the controversial one. <laughs> Don't you know? My, 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 my experience with it, guys, and in, in, in finally getting well after all those years of struggling, and, 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 I, and I work in the industry, the treatment center business. I've done clerical work. I'm not a counselor or therapist. I'm not talented enough to do that. But I, I, can, I can punch a computer, and, you know, and I talk to some drunks every once in a while, and I get a chance. I'm an administrator for a hospital, and I, I, I've, I've worked with literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of alcoholics and, and uh, other folks in the mother fellowships. And i and I got to tell you, folks, I, it breaks my heart sometimes when I see these folks come in the doors, and, they, you know, I, it, it happens to me all the time. I talk about it from the podium. A little newcomer will come in, and he'll be coming out of detox, and, you know, he's just finally sticking his head out of, you know, looking around, and he sees the steps and the traditions on the wall. We're always, we're 12-step fellowship. We're in base treatment. And he looks up there, and he goes, oh, shit, no. Goes, what, buddy, what? He says, man, I figured for this amount of money, we'd do something besides the 12 steps. I said, buddy, we're going to do a lot of stuff besides the 12 steps, but the 12 steps is what will get you connected. That It works. It doesn't work. I've tried it. And then you talk to him for a few seconds, and what you hear him say is, 
I've been to meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. But he's never worked the steps, and he's never sponsored a single person. Breaks my heart. Big Book says that our chief responsibility to the newcomer, there's a letter that Bill Wilson wrote, it's not in the Big Book, but he refers to it. Our chief responsibility to the newcomer is an adequate presentation of the program. We've talked about it all weekend. Beautiful speakers with Bob. And, and, and I mean, i got to tell you, you know, Kent did a great job. Kelly, I, it's, everybody's on the same page. This is about getting connected spiritually. It's about doing the work. Each of us get to do it our own way. How cool is that? But you get to do it. So I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Having said that, I, uh, I was raised in Kerrville, Texas, Ingram. I was a West Texas boy. My dad moved us to the, to the hill country as quick as he could. He, he, uh, he loved the river and he loved the water. And uh, he was a wonderful guy. He was a craftsman, a printer. And uh, back when they actually had prints, you know, times are changing. But he, uh, he was a, a wonderful guy. He was, a, he was an uh, alcoholic, but he was a periodic. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been around periodics. It's like they're really unsettling to be around sometimes because they can go long periods of time and not drink. And then the barometric pressure changes or something, and they just, you know, they, and they're, we could always tell when the hell was, was fixing to hit because they'd bring home a six-pack of Slitz beer, and we'd go, okay, because that's when it gets started. Now, we didn't understand at the time. We were little kids in high school looking at this, paying attention. He's like, oh, phenomenal. Craven's going to kick in, and he's going to drink for six months. <laughs> We just said it, you know, it's going to be a siege here pretty quick. He went to work every day. He never got fired from, y'all, y'all follow, but he was, he was, he, uh, was tough. There was enough tension in my family that our, my twin brother and I both made a pact that we would never be like that. We loved him to death, but we didn't want to be a drunk. And, um, and we weren't gonna. Between my junior and senior year, somebody gave me a bottle of Boone's Farm Apple Lime. Everybody's talking about their 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 drink of choice. I'm gonna come on, guys. Boone's Farm apple wine. It's good stuff. I don't know what to tell you. you know, I don't think it's got a, a grape in it. I mean, I don't I don't think it's got anything anything natural in it. But it'll get you downtown fast. And I, I'm just you can hallucinate on that crap. I gotta. But anyway, somebody gave me a bottle, not one of those big bottles like we'd end up going to, just a little bottle. And I was going to split with a friend. And he took a swallow, and I took a swallow, and he spit it out. He says, God, that's not what I was expecting. That's so sweet. It tastes. And, and I said, Yeah, it's kind of funky. Yeah. I took another sip, and he's, I handed it. He said, No, I don't want any more of that. That just tastes like crap. So let me get this straight. You're telling me you don't want any more of this bottle. i got to get the rules straightened. I, I don't want it. So I sat down and drank that bottle. But I'm bummed. I just sat there and sipped it like that, leaned up against one of those big old 700-year-old cypress trees on the banks of the Guadalupe River, looking up at that big old full moon. And my little walk back a half an acre back over to my little house where we grew up, I, I, got, I, I remember like it was yesterday thinking, this is why Pops drinks. This is, this is what it's about. I didn't rob a liquor store. I didn't take my clothes off. I didn't do anything crazy. I just ah, went into the house. It's about 11 o'clock at night. Pick up the phone. I'm going to get a date for the weekend right now. <laughs> Mom leaned over. She said, I think it's a little late to be calling anybody. I said, no, nah, she'll take my call. Don't worry about it. <laughs> she didn't. <laughs> but it didn't matter. 
I was in the food business early on. I, uh, I was actually a busboy at a big hotel there in Kerrville, and and uh, and uh, little busboys. We were all kind of goofy and you know, not getting dates or anything like that. And all the cooks back there were, you know, they wear them big old white hats, you know, and they're all, they were allowed to drink on the job. And, you know, they had the, the pantry girls in the back. Never mind. But you, you can <laughs> let your imagination run wild, you know, because it was, a, it was a, there was a chance that perhaps somebody would feel sorry. Okay, anyway, that's, so I asked the guy that owned the place if I could cook, and he said, yeah, come on in. And, and uh, I, uh, he started teaching me, and uh, I got an apprenticeship program in Houston, Texas, and, and was pretty quite successful for a long period of time. Fifteen years I was in and out of that industry, and uh, I, I love it still to this day. I love the restaurant business. I thank God I don't have to work that hard anymore. But, but we were drinking in that restaurant business. Y'all understand, on the line you could drink before the – and we were in the hospitality field. Everybody drank, and it was just okay. As long as you showed up, did your job, they didn't care what you did. Guys, this is what we were talking about. I'm just going to repeat the same thing that some of these other speakers have said because it's part of my story. Guys, I'm not one of these guys that want to demonize alcohol. You know, it's not a, not a week goes by that literally that somebody's not trying to get me to get on a committee to stamp out drugs and alcohol. Thank God I had drugs and alcohol. When alcohol worked for me, folks, you couldn't touch me. I was awesome. <laughs> Somebody else said it. If I hadn't had booze, I never would have gotten laid. I promise you, I never would have. <clears throat> the problem is, Bill Wilson talks about it. He does a masterful job talking about the progression in Bill's story. You know, there's a period of time it worked. And then it gets to a little place where it's working, but there's some problems to pay. And if you keep drinking, then it's just a nightmare. The hideous four horsemen you all hear about all the time, that's, yeah. I had stalls in my living room. So the, I can still remember the day. My idea of window treatments was aluminum foil. You know, this was, uh, we were kids of the 60s growing up in the 70s, and everybody was smoking pot and listening to crazy music. And it was a, it was a cool time to be, to be drinking a bit. But... Um, Alcoholism, you know, being progressive, it, it, it kind of took me to places I didn't want to go. And uh, I ended up um, getting married in the early 80s and trying to save a marriage. I'd seen a counselor already. By the early, uh, late 70s, I was on all kinds of medications uh, for my depression and for anxiety. And I'm just a mess. And, of course, I'm drinking on top of that. It's just, you know, I, I love therapists. You know, psychiatrists are the best, you know, because because if you go to a new one, the diagnoses that you've been getting are always wrong. So they're going to give you a new diagnosis with, with some new drugs. I'm not knocking any of that. Bon appetit. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> when I finally tried to commit suicide in 1987, I was on seven medications, prescription medication. I wasn't out doctor shopping. These were all medications to, to fix me. And, uh, and I'm drinking on top of that. I'm a mess. You know, I just I glow in the dark at night. You know, I've got so many medications in me. This is, oh. Anyway, I got married because a counselor told me it would be wise. Maybe I, maybe I could put some roots down and become responsible, and I thought that was a good idea. I remember sitting out in the parking lot. You know, you remember where the old Astrodome used to be in, in Houston? Well, it's old. It's still there. Man, what the hell? I haven't moved it. But there used to be a bear joint over there. My twin brother bartended over there. And so uh, it, was pretty, it was a pretty sweet deal for me. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm sitting in my old beat-up pickup truck drinking a quart of beer, and I'm going to go back in. I says, God, if you can let that woman marry me, I promise you I'll quit drinking. I'll clean up my act, and everything's going to be okay. And uh, she was a sweetheart. She was a nice lady. And, uh, and uh, we got married. 
two weeks later, I'm sitting there watching her shovel them Cheerios in her mouth, and I'm saying, God, if you could just kill this woman, everything will be okay. I, I can promise you. I, I tell that story jokingly because y'all understand what I'm talking about. Who in this world hasn't tried to arrange their life? I mean, come on, guys. How many of us in there, raise your hand if you've made a geographical cure. You've gotten, you've moved some. Everybody waving. That's pretty good. I wish we had a video of that. That's pretty good. You can feel the air move as you did that. But how many do I still drive a pickup today because you never know when you got to have to. I just feel more secure with a pickup in there. I don't know. And that's what we try to do. I mean, I tried to change everything I possibly could out there, guys. And I, you know, I moved to, I, that was my deal for when, when I moved, left Texas. I went to Atlanta, Georgia. You know, and I knew I'd made a mistake because I got there on a Saturday night and didn't find out till Sunday that you can't buy booze in Atlanta, Georgia on Sundays. That may, that may be changed now, but at the day, you couldn't buy booze. What kind of a crappy town is that? <laughs> Here either? Oh, my God, it's terrible. <laughs> you know, guys in this room are not finished. Y'all need to move to Texas. I'm just saying. We can, we can, we can drink on Sundays. I moved there, I went to a big hotel, and I came back a year later and went to, back to Texas, and I'm moving this, and I'm going to get out of the business, and I'm in retail, and I'm in sales. Sales is the answer. Oh, my God, sales. I mean, and I'd find myself sitting on Lake Texoma with a 12-pack of beer and a newspaper trying to figure it all out, you know, drinking myself to spitless. Now, see, guys, I'm a functioning alcoholic like we talked about. I'm not blacking out or robbing liquor stores or doing all that crazy stuff I hear some of y'all talk about. And I say, I hear the yets. I know, I know. But I'm not hearing any of that. I'm just, every, I'm holding it together pretty good. People on the outside don't understand what we're going through. Y'all, y'all, if you had a clue how I felt, how could you laugh? How could you smile? God, I hate my life. And I don't understand why. I don't understand. I think the drinking's the problem. I've heard all the speakers this weekend express it beautifully. My idea when I would quit drinking is if I would stop drinking, everything will get better. When I stop drinking, everything goes to the hell in the handbasket. Everything's great for a couple of weeks with me. My MO is great. I can put the plug in the jug in a heartbeat. It's no problem. I can quit. I can I can quit for an ugly woman. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, given sufficient reason, can you stop? Yes, I can. I just can't stay stopped. That's the problem. I'll stop and I'll be bebopping along and pretty good. Everything's great. The car's washed and the checkbook's balanced. And everybody said, God, Chris, you look so good. Man, I should have done this years ago. Absolutely. I'm feeling better. And about two weeks in, this internal stuff that we've talked about all weekend starts to come back and kick my butt. I'm driving down the road, and I'm irritable, restless, and discontent. Flipping people off on the highway. I'm just, I'm not a happy camper. Y'all follow? The anxiety's coming back, the depression. i just like, what the hell's going on? I hate my life. It's not what I expected because I quit drinking. And I go into that 7-Eleven and grab me a Dr. Pepper and stop for a second, and I hear that little voice. You could probably have one beer. <laughs> no. No. It's how it always starts. What are you, a pussy? <laughs> no, I'm not. Guys next to me saying, who are you talking to? <laughs> oh, my God. And I put the Dr. Pepper back, and I open the cooler, and I grab a Lone Star beer. 
put the beer back, grab a quart. <laughs> if it's going to be a beer, it's going to be a big beer. <laughs> I'm rushing, you'll follow, and I'm off to the races. Six o'clock that night, I'm back at the same 11 buying a 12-pack of beer. You know, I'm rationalized why it's okay. I, 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 terrible. It's... I heard a family member the other day say, boy, you, y'all just party too much. Guys, y'all need to <laughs> you, you know, there was a time this was all a party. It stopped being a party forever. And one day you cross this little line and it's got you by the, by the, and you can't stop. Early 80s, I, uh, I had a little shoving match with, with uh, my first wife. She was a sweetheart. And uh, I'm one of them West Texas boys that raised, we don't, you don't, you don't, you don't do anything with a woman except treat her with respect, and that's what you're supposed to do. And, and um, I don't remember what the argument was about. I don't remember any of that nonsense. I'd been drinking, and I'd been doing some other outside issues, and I'd gotten loaded, and I'd shoved her. And, and, and I left the house, and there was a big altercation. And, and uh, a couple hours later, I crawled back out of my pickup truck and went inside, and she's crying in the bedroom. She said, what, what, what is the What? And she said, Chris, you've got to make a decision. So you want to stay married to me, you've got to quit drinking because I can't do this. I, the stuff I've been putting. We've only married a year or so. And she's done. I've used this woman up. I'm, she's scared to death. She's, and I looked her in the face, and I, and I, I said, I'm not digging this, and I'm, 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 I'm going to quit. And I looked her in the face, and I said, I'll stop. And she said, just promise, done. And I poured out the booze I had. I had some, some dope, and I poured that outside issue stuff out. And I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give us a shot. And, um, guys, i got to tell you, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous the next day. But I'm going to tell you, when I sat down and I looked that woman in the face and begged her forgiveness and I told her I was going to quit, I meant it. I get a little frustrated sometimes with folk on Alcoholics Anonymous because they want to paint us pictures that we're all a bunch of goofy, goofy buckaroos. And i got to tell you something, folks. Some of the finest people I've ever known in my life are in Alcoholics Anonymous. I know some of you are, are just are pathological liars. I, I understand that. Just, but, but you're that and an alcoholic. Y'all, y'all follow? Because there's a lot of us. When I looked that woman in the face and told her I was going to quit, there was, I wasn't blowing smoke. I, I meant it. I didn't understand that I didn't have the power to make that happen. I can't manage the decision to stay stopped. Welcome to hell. You hear people all the time, especially some, some friends in al well, you're just letting them off the hook. No, I'm trying to explain, finally, understand what alcoholism is. The phenomenon of craving is one piece of this, but it's the mental obsession that, that, that ties this together in the death sentence. If I could choose not to drink and make it stick, I would do that. Would have done it. So would y'all. We wouldn't be here. I can make a choice not to do it. I just can't. A week later, the book says, you're not going to remember the consequences of a week or a month ago. Two weeks later, the chef asked me to stay and have a beer with him. We wanted to talk schedules after the meeting. And I, and I, I sat down with him. I had a beer. and had maybe, I actually had two beers. And I went home patting myself on the back because I had two beers and didn't get drunk. But you see, my deal with her was that I wasn't going to come home drunk. My deal with her was that I wasn't going to drink another drop ever. And she went to the bedroom and packed. And I had five more years drinking in me. You can't scare an alcoholic into recovery. Guys, I spent, five, I spent seven years total in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm a meeting-making fool, and I know that everybody in that room loved me to death and tried to help me. Uh, I, there's nothing but love in these rooms. 
Um, but I got to tell you something, folks. In the area that I was trying to get sober in, basically what we did was, you know, who's got the problem? Let's talk about the day, and it's great. That's fine. But I didn't understand what alcoholism was. I didn't own a big book, and I didn't have a sponsor. I'll take responsibility for that. But I didn't understand what to do. And I've talked to lots of people that have been in that same boat. And, um, you know, it's amazing to me how many people have a version of how to get sober. Patty and I were uh, uh, coming back from the International. How many of y'all were at the International this year? That was pretty good last year. It was. Yeah, it was. What a, what a party. And uh, uh, we were coming back Sunday morning, coming to the, pl- coming to the, to the uh, airport, and uh, <clears throat> all the partiers were out there. It was so funny. You've got 65,000, I don't know how many people were there, you know, alcoholics, anonymous alcoholics. And we've got balloon hats on with AA and all this. We scared the daylights out of that, that city. We didn't, didn't know what the hell we were doing. <clears throat> but I mean, this lady gets in, this older lady, she's a sweetheart, and she sat down, and she, I got up to give her my seat, because that's what a gentleman's supposed to do is in a crowded train, and she's got, a, got her a little, obviously a little new one, you know, on the hook, and she was sitting down there, and she, she was talking to her, they were holding hands, and, and I remember what you learned, remember, and I'm sitting there listening and just paying attention, and Patty's over there, and she said, now remember what I talked to you about while we were on this trip, remember, all you got to do is work one step a year, and you're going to be okay. And I'm watching this lady, and Patty's watching me, because she thinks I'm going to reach over and thump this lady in the head, you know? <laughs> what are you doing? Trying to kill this woman? I, you know? But it dawned on me, it stopped. Of course, I was never saying anything like that. Guys, because I want you all to understand, that lady loves Alcoholics Anonymous as much as I do. She, she wasn't trying to hurt that girl. But if that girl was the alcoholic of the variety that the big book's talking about, the kind of drunk that I am, one step a year will kill this woman. Why is it that we think that we can rewrite the big book? I mean, I understand putting your own spin on it, but we can't. I mean, let, let's, let's pay attention to what we're doing here. That, that's the stuff that I went through seven years in Alcoholics Anonymous. You go over here, and these guys say, well, maybe we ought to look at the steps. And these guys over there going, I'll never forget it. This guy says, man, come on, we're going to go to the, the hamburger joint down here, and we're going to do a little step work. You want to come with us? And the lady across the way was going, I said, buddy, no, I'm busy. I, I, I can't. And I walked up to that lady after. I said, how come you didn't want me to go with those people? He said, oh, they mean well. He's a good old guy, you know, but they're just big book guys. You don't need to worry about that. All you need to do is go to, go to a 90 meetings in 90 days, and you're going to be okay. Was she trying to hurt me? But you see, nowhere in the book does it say if you go to a meeting every day, you're going to stay sober. I'm not knocking meetings. I go to lots of meetings. Love this fellowship, but I got to mix it with the steps and the service work. 1987, I'm working for my twin brother and thank God for family. I, I, I'm too sick. To, I can't hold a knife anymore. My hands are shaking too bad. I'm, I'm, I can't stand. My legs are, I got kidney damage and liver damage, and I'm on all these medications, and I'm just, I'm not digging my life. And uh, I went home after work one day, and I'm, I'm, uh, cold November night, and I picked up a stack of return checks out of the mailbox. And uh, remember back in the day, some of you old guys, when they, you put you bounce checks, they put every one of them in its own envelope so you could get the drama of opening it. I don't know what it was. <laughs> and I'm opening it up, the rent checks bounce, and I'm going to have to go to my sister-in-law the next day, and I'm going to have to borrow money. I'm 35 years old, guys, and I bankrupted one more checking account. You all understand this? I'm driving an old beat-up pickup truck that leans on one side. It's a big, one big whiskey dent with a license plate tied to the... 
I'm living in a town I don't want to live in. I got no girlfriend. I got, I, I, I hate my life. And I set the checks down on the deal, and I fed the ferrets. I had two little ferrets, and I fed them. And I, I watered the ivy. I still love ferrets. And I watered the ivy, and uh, then I went to the medicine cabinet, took two bottles of pills, and tried to tried to die. Nothing romantic about it, guys. There's nothing in me that I, I just could not feel the way I was feeling anymore. It's not that I haven't tried this, guys. I've been dipped, dumped, neutered, and spayed. You know, I've sat naked in sweat lodges. I've been to church. I've been, I've had hands laid on me. I've been exercised. I've gone all kinds of medications. I've done everything that you've asked me to do, and I cannot not drink. Bob quoted it the other night when he talked. He says, you're going to know loneliness like few do. Great little line in the back of the book. You're going to reach, you're going to reach for the end. You're at the jumping off spot. I heard a voice that night that said, don't do this, go back to AA. I don't know what it was. I think it was a voice that said, don't go back to AA. You know, don't do, finish committing suicide. Go back to AA. It said it three times. And I laid down on the side of the bed, and I made myself sick in the, in the, in the bathtub, and I, and, I, and I laid down, passed out, and the next morning I heard that voice one last time. This was not a thought. Perhaps you should give alcoholics anonymous. This was a voice I heard that said, go back to AA. And I did. That morning, I went to a doctor. I got some doggy downers to start the detox process one more time. And at 6 o'clock, I went back to work because I got to work. And I went at 6 o'clock. I left, and there was a, there was a beeline, direct line between me, where I'm working, and Kentucky Fried Chicken in my apartment was a meeting I'd never been to before. But somebody had showed me this meeting. He said, this is a big book meeting in here. So if you want to get sober, you might want to try that meeting. And I remember making a mental note, not, you know, I'm not. <laughs> I didn't know what it was, but y'all understand it. It's a, it's, it's, it's a bunch of big book thumpers. You're not going to get laid in that meeting. I mean, what's the point? I just, I'm just saying. I remember, I was young once. I'm just saying. I, uh, I, I went to the meeting, uh, stood at the turning point. I mean, this was it, because I remember sitting in that car trying to talk myself out of going into that meeting one more time. And I said, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going I'm to walk into this place. And uh, I walked in the back door, and... Uh, it was uh, like some of these other speakers had referred to you. Remember back in the day, there was always a long, like six tables and with ashtrays in there. And this is back in the day we could all smoke, you know, vapes or not. We could smoke inside. It was pretty cool, you know. Except everybody had to smoke six or seven cigarettes at one time. You know, they looked, they looked like porcupines. The cigarettes, unbelievable. Ceilings dropping, you know, and I'm looking around like this. I got a big old water dip, but I'm I'm cussing the smokers. I, it's very crazy. I walked in this room, though, guys. But you know how we can get? I got hypersensitive. You know, I walked in, and the ladies laughing over here, and the chairperson had seen me, waved at me, because I'd been up in North Texas for seven years. They knew who I was. I'm kind of hard to miss. I, <laughs> <clears throat> they used to do pirate jokes when I'd walk in the house. <laughs> if you want to stay on the Christmas card list. Don't. I'm just to throw that out there. I, uh, I got about halfway into the room, and and, uh, and again, somebody laughed real loud, and I got real self-conscious. I uh, I don't know how to. Guys, I'm, I've always been a little skinny guy anyway, you know, and, I, and kidney damage and the liver damage. I've got a bunch of water weight right here. I look like a snake that swallowed a dog, you know. It's just, I'm like, I think that I'm looking pretty cool, you know, but I got a Fruit of the Loom t-shirt on I've had on for like three days. You know, you remember Fruit of the Loom? They got a little pocket, and after you wash them about a thousand times, the pocket grows to like a year, so you look like a, look like a kangaroo, you know? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
I stink like hell. I got a big old nasty full beard, and I got hair down to my shoulders, and I mean, and a black eye patch. They said, Chris, we didn't know if it was an eye patch or an earmuff. <laughs> Where's the love in that? Y'all understand, I'm pretty sensitive about this whole deal anyway. And I'm walking in, and the lady laughed, and I said, I can't do this. And I just froze, and I just, I said, I got to get out of here. And I took a step back, and I stepped on this little girl's foot. And she was a little 18, 19-year-old girl, and she hooked her finger in my belt loop. And she said, sit down, cowboy, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> True story. Listen, I got to tell you, because her sponsor was across the room and couldn't get to me. She saw that I was fixing to leave, and she said, get him. Because this little girl understood the fifth tradition. She didn't say, no, I can't. Women work with women and men work with women. She didn't sponsor me. Don't start it. She stopped me from leaving the room. Just exactly what Kent was talking about today. They sat down and they got me some coffee, which I spilled immediately. And they laughed at me, not with me. I'll follow. <laughs> and they, oh my God, the chairperson said, "Man, just exactly said, man, we got a newcomer coming back in here. Been here before, guys. Why don't we do something different? Why don't we tell Chris uh, how our lives have changed as a result of working the steps?" Holy shit! What? What? And see, guys, I've been seven years in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous, listening to First Step. Let's tell Chris how we got here. I'm not knocking it. Well, maybe. <laughs> Let me explain. Let me explain. They went around the room. They went around the room and they talked about getting the credit cards back and, 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 and getting a car and you know buying a house and doing all the cool stuff. Going back to school. There was, I'll never forget. There was a girl at the end of the table up there and she had a had a sketch pad. And I've always been fascinated with art. I, I come from a very artistic, you know, famous artist in my family, and I'm I'm talentless. But I'm, I'm Love it. And she, she was a sculptor, and she was sculpting, she was sketching some stuff while the meeting was going on, and she talked about getting accepted back in school after she got sober. Guys, listen, I'm less than 24 hours away from a suicide attempt, and these people gave me the one thing I needed. One thing I needed, hope. The entire meeting was about sharing how their lives had changed as a result of doing something different in their life. After the meeting, I picked up a chip. Who wants to stay sober? I do. We picked up a chip. Smattering of applause. Not much. Y'all follow? They've done with me up there. Nobody believed I was going to get sober. And there was a two couple old guys, and i got to say, there was a couple old guys that, that uh, approached me after the meeting and said, Chris, can you stay and talk for just 15 or 20 minutes? We won't keep you long, but, it's, but it's, we just need to visit with you a little bit because you keep doing this. You, 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 you keep relapsing. Every time I relapse, somebody scrapes me off the plate and says, well, you just didn't want it bad enough. He said, let's find out what the hell's going on here. Why can't you stay sober? We, we know you, we can sense that you want to stay sober. So they stopped and they asked me the questions, guys. They opened the big book and they turned to that circle triangle that used to be on the title page of the book. And they started qualifying me. They started explaining to me what alcoholism looked like, the physical phenomenon of craving that Dr. Silkworth so beautifully explained in the big book. They talked about the mental obsession that Bill Wilson spends 20 pages and some great stories explaining. Why can't you stay sober? Why can't you remember the consequences? And they talked about the mental insanity that is alcoholism. Seven years in Alcoholics Anonymous, multiple treatments, 
thousands of hours on the couch, and I couldn't tell you what alcoholism was. That's why it drives me crazy when we go to meetings and then we got the newcomer, let's tell Chris how we got here, and you're going to tell me how you drank. It's interesting Friday night on the podium. It's fascinating in a 12-step call. You better have your story. But if somebody's in the room, it's come high time that we need to start explaining what this thing is about. Just my thought. Those old guys saved my life. It's 7 o'clock. They worked all day. They stayed after. Instead of going to eat with their friends, they stayed after to open a big book and finally, once and for all, show me what was wrong. They said, Chris, man, do you want to do this or not? Like, Come on. We need to work these steps, and we're going to work them quick. And I said, I'm down with it. I'm ready. And i got to tell you, guys, I drove home that night with tears in my eyes because of the first time in this program I knew what the problem was. See, guys, my bottom was not your stupid story. My bottom was not my story. My bottom was a clear understanding of what the first step was talking about. It's a death sentence. God bless them. Next morning, we did a third step prayer. We talked about it. And we did a third step prayer. After lunch, they gave me a little notebook. And they said, let's start on this fourth step. Let's light this candle. Come on, buddy. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. And I started working on it. I get emails from all over the world, Europe, everywhere. It always, I think they work the steps a bit fast with you. Mind their own business. I've been, I, I've been in AA seven years. Seven years and have never worked a single step. Bill Wilson's in Towns Hospital working the steps with, with, with Eddie. I mean, because he's making his amends from the hospital, nine days detoxing. Bill Wilson, I mean, boom, bam. 30 days, Dr. Bob, bam. It, but you can take nine months to do it. You can take a year. A step a year, that ought to do it. So by mm, 12 years sober, we're going to have the necessary spiritual experience. And you can start working with people. Save your breath. Guys, nobody's trying to hurt us. I'm just saying the message has gotten kind of crazy. Let me read this real quick. Somebody just sent this. In fact, it was a guy in England that just sent this. One of your guys. It's actually it was an excerpt. Uh, it was a grapevine article that Bill Wilson wrote. It was an excerpt from it. I wish I had the copy, uh, but I can send it to you if you email me. I'll Dropbox it. But it's pretty good. It's titled "Too Attractive?" Question mark. Bill Wilson. This was in 1965 in this in this letter. What will what will the ultimate result be if AA becomes too attractive? It is now felt that some people are joining our ranks not because they are a major drinking problem, but because our meetings are friendly, interesting, and informative. Will AA degenerate into a social club and cease to be the last refuge of hope for the suffering alcoholic? Then he may find too many enjoying AA and too few carrying the message of the suffering alcoholic. Ouch! Two weeks into this deal, I've got a completed four-step, and I'm sitting on the tailgate of my truck up in North Texas, and there's and I'm crying, and it dawns on me with crystal clarity that the obsession to drink has been lifted. And for the first time in my adult life, I don't want to drink. And I'll never forget that night. I walked back up to the same apartment I tried to commit suicide in two weeks earlier, cranked up some hot jazz, washed the dishes, fed the little stupid parrots. Man, they stink. (laughs) 
Oh, my God. And it got cool. I had a great sponsorship lineage, folks. I'm in a sponsorship lineage that talks about getting excited about recovery and getting out there kicking butt. I, I, I work again in that industry, and we have a tendency to want to tell everybody to go slow. All you need to do is go to that halfway house. Just focus on your recovery. Absolutely crazy. I'm watching more people out there in recovery land relapse around boredom than anything else. Man, you can work the steps and get excited about college. I'm just saying, you go start you a business. Come on, guys. So what if you screw it up? What happens if you fail? You fail. Start another one. What the hell? Welcome to life. This, this idea that we're just going to have to tiptoe around the idea that any day could be the day that we drink. Guys, you're misreading the big book. book is pretty crystal clear. The pages that I ask him to read, that little excerpt from there in Bill's story, he gets pretty clear, guys. Unless we grow spiritually through work and self-sacrifice for others, we're not going to be able to stay sober. Those old geezers that 12-stepped me that night that, that, that showed me what was in the book and explained it, they, they, they lit me on fire with this idea of, of working with others. Remember, I, I was talking to some of y'all earlier. You know, I'm the victim's victim. If you look at my chest, i got a big V tattooed here. Not really. Dude, I should have, you know. Because that's what I am. I can work the room with this victim stuff. That's, that's what, you know, you don't want to go out with a guy with a black eye patch, do you? I mean, oh, my God, I'm just blind in one eye. Sure, I, I, come on, guys. It'll work every time. Sooner or later, you'll find one that's absolutely, honey, come here. Just, that's why we keep doing it. She ain't exactly going to be a looker, but she's going to go. I just, But these guys, guys, real quick, these guys had me excited about doing service work. Chris, it's just like somebody else was talking about. They gave me these keys. It says, Chris, we need somebody on the cleanup committee. I said, well, don't look at me. I'm the newcomer. Remember me? I'm the most important person in the room. You know? <laughs> and now you want me to clean your club? No, no, no. And everybody looked at me. They said, Chris, volunteer. Everybody looked at me like that. And I, oh, shit, okay, I'll do it. And they gave me the key, and I remember I took off the next day after work, and I went up there like that, and I got the vacuum cleaner. And I mean, guys, I've been in the catering business for 15 years. I know how to set a room. Y'all follow? And I spit polished that club. And I mean, those chairs were in perfect alignment. And I, and I sat back there with a cup of coffee, and the people started walking in the room. Y'all know this deal. The lady was in there screaming, oh, my God, have you seen this bathroom? Oh, my God. She came in and said, did you clean that bathroom? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God, she hugged my neck, and I was like, okay, I get it. I see what this is about. It ain't any more complicated than that. I, I couldn't chair a meeting for a few weeks because they hadn't showed me how. But the minute they showed me how, I could start chairing meetings. And we could start taking H&I to, to the deals and carrying a little bit. Got on a bus to one of the treatment centers. Doing anything to get out of my poor busted up head to start thinking about somebody. Folks, I just got to say it. I got, I got one or a couple other things I need to mention to you real quick. But I, I got to say it. You know, we got a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous that seem as far as a sponsorship role that it's perfectly okay to tell the newcomer what they can't do. It's just, just ad nauseum. You can't date anybody. You can't do this. You, got, you can't do that. You can't cheer this. You've got to be sober this long to do that. We just need to really rethink what we're doing. Because the early guys in Alcoholics Anonymous, when we had a great success rate, weren't doing that. I've got to get out of my head. Selfish and self-centeredness that Bob read the other night, that's my problem. It's not alcohol. I'm full of self-pity. 
How can I feel better? I mean, you hear them all the time. I can't help anybody. How can I help myself? No, I can't help myself. How can I help anybody? That's the way it works. I said, look, buddy, forget that. Everybody in here can do something. And if you find that, yeah, if you can find that one thing that you can do, the people on the chair, the committees, the people that, that bounce the books, that, that, that do the service, the people that man the tables out here, that did the entertainment, that did the dancing last night. I mean, how cool is that? Listen, you think that makes a difference? All the difference in the world. My heart goes out to the people that can't stay sober. My heart goes out to the people that are sitting in Alcoholics Anonymous with lots of sobriety under their belt, bone powder dry, miserable. And every single one of them I go to and I can ask them the same question. How many people are you sponsoring? Nine times out of ten, none. The book says you can't stay sober unless you do that. Guys, some of us are going to be better at it than others. I give you that. I, I, I understand that. But everybody needs a project. Can y'all, can y'all relate to that? <laughs> I belong to Ingram Solution Group in, Curve, in, uh, in Ingram, Texas, at the beautiful Outpost Recovery Club. If any of you guys are ever in that area, y'all come, come visit. And any Monday night and Wednesday night, I guarantee you, if we're in town, Patty and I are in that meeting together. And i got to tell you something, but I heard this too. If you go with your spouse, y'all don't sit together. You have to work your program, and he works it. Bite me. That's a, that's a clinical term. I can use that. I can, that I can, that's just absolutely ridiculous. I absolutely adore sitting in a meeting with Patty. She's sitting there like she's watching her girls, and I'm watching my guys watch her girls. <laughs> y'all, y'all, y'all follow how that works? Oh, my God. But we're all watching the door. If y'all watch, if you walk in, I'm sitting on the left-hand side, back in there, okay? And, and I'm and I, so I can watch the door coming into the place because I'm watching the door for the little newcomers coming in. And if a little newcomer comes in and one of his guys gets him before my guys get him, we're gonna have a talk. They're gonna be out there with that toaster puffing on it. We're gonna have a real long chat. <laughs> Because you're making me look bad. You're supposed to be one of my guys out there like that. But see, I just, it's not about pride. It's a, it's a, I want them to experience the beauty of reaching out and helping somebody. I was, I, was, I was less than two months sober, and some guy called and asked for help. And, and, I, and I, I looked around, and they said, don't look at us. He didn't call us. Go help him. Take your big book and go talk to him. Tell him how you got here. Explain what, what we explained to you. I said, I can do that. Three hours later, I came home with a look of, you know, the zealots on my face. You know, I was like, oh, my God, I, I, I think I cured him. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, but it's something to watch. And I know some of you get pieces of it, but the, the, the more we get into it, the, I mean, how can you, somebody said it earlier, how can you be bored in Alcoholics Anonymous? You, you, you can't if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Guys, we're saving lives. Out there in the, in, the, in the industry, everybody's looking for the new cure. The pharmaceutical companies are working overtime. They've got about eight or nine medications in the, in the pipes coming down, anti-craving medications. They don't have anything to come down called an anti-obsession <laughs> medication. You know, so it's, it, there's nothing out there. There's no fixes coming out for alcoholism and drug addiction. I hate to break that figure. There's not. We know one thing that works that has any track record at all, Alcoholics Anonymous. Only game in town. A few years back when my niece started having trouble drinking. Surprise, genetic. 
when she started having trouble, she knew exactly where to come. And she's alive today. I just got to tell you guys, I've said this before, and I've got to wind this down. I, I've done this on two or three occasions, but this last time was, was pretty graphic. One of the guys I sponsor, he's a, he's a little pistol and uh, one of my best friends today. And uh, uh, I saw his truck out in the parking lot when I was, when I was uh, coming into the meeting a few months back. And, and, uh, and I pull in, and I can hear him talking. He's one of those old Texas, well, West Texas guys. He's got this big, loud voice. You could just... I'd hate to ride on a plane with him. I mean, he's just, he's in there talking. And I look around the corner, and, and I'm going to go in there early before the meeting to make coffee because I am the only one that knows how to make coffee at that time. So just, <laughs> it's the food business stuff. I don't know. And uh, I, I look around the corner, and he's, and he's got he's got the little new guy. You know, the couple of the nights before, he'd snagged this guy. I'd seen him. He'd made a bin, beeline. He did everything but tackle this poor kid at the door. It was pretty cool to watch. And anyway, he got him in a headlock, and he's dragging him back and back. And anyway, I know they've been doing the work because I see him out there on the picnic table before and after the meetings, and they got the books open and stuff. Anyway, I walk in and look in there, and they've got, sure enough, they're at the table you know, where we share meetings, and he's got his big book open like that. And he's talking about the second and third step. He's talking about the third step prayer, and he's explaining to this guy how, how this third step prayer business, God's going to remove your difficulty so victory can bear witness to what the power that we're in, involved with here. This is about power. Lack of power is the dilemma. How are we going to get some power? And this kid's explaining to him just exactly like I did a few years ago with this guy. It's a few years ago. It's a few months sober. And, uh, oh, my God. This, this kid didn't. He said, mark that. And he looked at us and says, where's your highlighter? I told you, every time we sit down with this big book, you need a highlighter. He, he's, he's eating this kid's, this kid's ass just like I did him a couple of months ago. You know? Highlighter is very important. You've got to do this. And I'm sitting there grinning, you know, like, I can hear him, that's my boy, you know. It's like, I can imagine what a father in Little League, when his kid, you know, pitches the nut. Yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my, my guy over there. I know, it's a little ego with me, but. And I got me a cup of coffee, and I'm sitting there making it like that, and I look around the corner, and I hear the seal says, okay, you ready to do this? We're going to do a third step. Let's get on the knees if you're ready. He said, I'm ready. No concrete floor in that club, and I hear the chairs back up, and he's got on his knees on this side, and the little guy's on the other knee, and he says, reach across. Buddy, let's hold hands on this. We're going to get down. You don't have to memorize this damn thing. It's on page 63. You got it right there. Just read this prayer. Let's do this together, because it's time that we finish these works so that we can get some power in our lives. And they did this third-step prayer. And I'm looking on the wall. and got a picture of Bill and Dr. Bob. If you get a chance, go read tonight or tomorrow, whenever you get back home. Go read your big book, the forward to the second edition, where it talks about our history and about how we got here and the things that, that took place out there trying to put the traditions and the steps together. Guys, 80 years ago, we celebrated. 80 years ago, less than a generation, we were dying by the millions. Hundreds of thousands of us died in insane asylums every year. Most of them at our own hands because they could take the alcohol away but they couldn't do anything about this and, and we couldn't live in that state and because two guys got together we believed divinely Bill and Bob and stood for something and wrote down in the big book what they meant so that we would garble it up with our, with our stupid opinions and theories 
whole bunch of people got sober. A whole bunch of people got sober. Two million of us. As of 1993. 2016, there's still two million of us. Still got the same amount of people coming into the fellowship. They're not staying. Because they're not hearing what they need to hear. I believe. And I'm sitting there looking at that. I'm looking at Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob's, and I'm looking at the ring that's coming across that. And because these people stayed sober and stood for something, my sponsor stayed sober, I got the information that I needed to have a life like you wouldn't believe. I get to be a part of that in my own little way. I don't have to worry about what AA's doing. I don't have to worry about the district. I don't have to worry about what the group's doing. I get to worry about what my little knuckleheads are doing. And I get to carry the message of hope out of the big book. Not my opinion, what the big book says. And I get to watch them change. And I get to watch them come in a year with their families, lots of tears. And I get to watch the miracle take place. One little knucklehead, fried pie alcoholic working with another one. That's all we're asking you to do. I got to say it and go. Guys, I believe, and I talked to somebody about it earlier today, I believe what we end up with a lot of times is spiritual warfare in this program. I believe that we, we, we want to listen to the voice that tells us that we don't have to be responsible for anything. What do you expect? We're all alcoholics. Shame on you. We're sober alcoholics. We're recovered alcoholics. We, we have power in our life today. Nobody can help another alcoholic like another alcoholic. Bill Wilson was crystal clear. On page 129 at the bottom, it says, In those first days of convalescence, nothing will help you stay sober like working with another drunk. Guys, stop worrying about how you're going to do it. If I'm sponsoring my, my brother here and he gets in over his head, he can call me on the phone. If I get in over my head, I'm going to call Gary. Like, what the hell do I do now? I'm, I, I don't know. I don't have to have all the answers today. Thank God for that. I just have to have a pocket full of phone numbers, contacts, people that I know and love and respect, and they can help me understand what this is about. We're not therapists in here. We're not bankers. We're not doctors. We're not lawyers. What we are is recovered alcoholics. We've been given the power to help others. And that's what page 132 says. We have recovered and been given the power to help others. Everybody gets a chance to do it. I just got to say it. In our own way. In your way, the way you do it. Some of y'all are so gentle and so kind. And just, just, God, there's just people that are not going to hear it from me. I'm too abrasive. But they're going to hear it from you. Some of you are intellectual. You want to discuss the second step for days. I want to, I want to commit suicide thinking about it. <laughs> it's one question. I don't understand how you can make it. But it takes a for some people. We've got to split it out. i got to say this and let you go. I got a guy in there when I first got sober. His name was ML. He's long passed away. He was old geezer when I got sober. And, but I remember being in a meeting one time, and I'm helping him clean up the coffee cups after the meeting. And all the guys are downstairs chasing the women, and everybody's having, you know, it's just, it's just me and him in the room. And this is back in the day we used to have styrofoam. We had real coffee cups, and we were cleaning these coffee cups and ashtrays. And, uh, you know. But I'm helping this old guy because he asked me, he said, can you help me? And I said, I'd love, you know, yeah, what the hell? And he looked, he's, he was, we were washing those coffee cups, and he looks up at me like that. And he says, I heard you share tonight. And it was some nice hope you shared with that newcomer. And I said, Buddy, thanks. I appreciate that. He said, you know, I've been kind of negligent about saying this, but i got to tell you right now, buddy, I'm proud of you. We need you.
on, guys. I've been asked. We need you not to come back here anymore. You know, we need you to put your hands behind your back. I mean, you know, I need, I need you not to call my daughter anymore. I, 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 I. But somebody looked me in the face like that and just said, we need you to understand. Not because I have any particular great talent. Just as, as an individual, who's going to say, who's God going to use to fix you, to help you? It always amazes me when I'm sitting in that meeting and I get a little newcomer and he's coming across the deal. I'm going, oh, shit. I looked at my patty. I said, oh, man, he's coming. I said, I just don't. The last thing I need to do is sponsor somebody else. No, absolutely not. And he's coming. It warp speed. It's like, it's like that music on Jaws. Dun, 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 dun. He's aiming speed. I know he's coming. Oh, man, I just, ah, ah. It gets to me and push, pushes me to the side to get to a little guy that I sponsor behind me. And instantly, and instantly, I'm offended. You're know, like, hey, what, 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 the, what the hell? I, what, I thought what I shared tonight was particularly, you know, fetching. I mean, I, what the heck? I, you know, and you push me aside like he didn't want anything I had. He wanted this little guy that had 90 days behind me. Y'all follow? And he asked this little guy right in front of me. I've seen, can you sponsor me? And this little guy didn't look at me, ask for permission, let me check with my sponsor. He knew what he was supposed to do. He had his marching orders. He said, absolutely. And the miracle continues to work. That's what this thing is all about, folks. Every single one of you in here, i got to say, go, all of you little old geezers in here, Gary, thanks. All of you guys in here that have got some time. Nobody's older than Gary. What the hell? I don't know. <laughs> All of you guys that have been around some fellowship for years, I'm going to tell you something. I cannot thank you for coming. I know it's not easy sometimes. The things get crazy out there and the personalities and all the nut stuff. i got to tell you, thank you so much for sticking. I think I've got 28 years figured out. 29 years, eh, not so much. Y'all, y'all, I need some, some, some guidance there. All of you little young guys and the tattoos and holes pierced everywhere, I don't know. I sponsor a guy if there's a thunderstorm, I won't go near him. He's got... It's nothing personal. It's just, it freaks me out. <laughs> every one of you guys, every one of you guys, because it takes every single one of us to, to, to make this thing work. And, uh, and i got to tell you right now, uh, to end, um, just like ML told me 28 years ago, uh, we need you. Thank you so much.